Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to yet another episode of You Haven't Seen That. I'm Isaac. I'm Alva. And with us today is the man behind the hype magic. Don't call him Moody, Rudy Moreno. Hey, what's going on, guys? <laughs> Our very first guest, dude. Welcome. Thank you for, for doing this. Thank you for having me. Thank you for choosing this movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I wish for the first movie it wasn't a, a thesis level uh, experiment, but uh, we'll, it's a deep we'll try. Movie. It is a deep movie. And uh, the movie that we're, of course, talking about is David Fincher's 1999 Fight Club. Oh, man. What a deep movie. What a fucking badass movie. Oh. I still have not achieved Brad Pitt bod. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to achieve that now. <laughs> yeah. I miss become gutters, man. Oh, my God. I was I was in my head. I was like, can I say that on this, this podcast? Sure. Every episode has an explicit tag on it. <laughs> oh, my God. The, the, the gutters on that boy. Jesus. And the way, the way he, he, he dressed that window set. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Every time he leaned, you just see like the trench. I'm like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> slide down that. <laughs> but uh, Fight Club, just like with Kill Bill Volume One, and then later going to be Volume Two. I am so nervous to break this movie down because it's it's such a good fucking movie. It's such a deep movie. It's a it's a masterclass of movie making and storytelling. David Fincher, it's kind of he's up there with like the great movie makers, where you you know that you're going to get a fantastic fucking movie. At times, you don't know exactly what you're going to get as far as the movie's concerned, but you know that you're in for a ride. It's one of those things where, like, I know we've discussed it um, specifically in in earlier Hype Attack podcast episodes where we're talking about movies and we complain about, like, audiences complaining about a movie or a show and they think that they want a certain thing. And then the creator, the ones that know what they're doing, go, let me tell you what you want. Let me show you. Let, let me, me present you this thing. Let me show you what I got. And then see see if maybe this is a, the thing you've been missing. So uh, Absolutely. And, and, and the same goes with, like, not just the creators talking to the audience, but also the creators talking to the studios, the production, or rather the producers, because a movie or a show can get completely ruined by them listening too much to what the audience wants or doing too much of what the, you know, the, the studios notating the hell out of everything. And, and we'll get to some of that when we're, we're getting certain parts of fight club. Cause this movie could have been entirely different. So in case you don't know, fight club is, uh, adapted from a Chuck Palahniuk book. Is that how you say it? Palahniuk? That is I'm actually pa- not sure. Palahniuk? 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 Palahniuk. Yeah, I, 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 I looked it up. I watched a couple of videos and everyone kind of pronounces it a little different. So whatever. Check that book out. I, I Chuck P. got around to reading it after years after watching this movie. And uh, the book reads like the movie and the movie reads like the book. Books are usually going to be better than the movie, but this one is pretty much in line. But Chuck Palahniuk said it himself that um, after seeing the movie and he didn't he didn't want to do the screen. He didn't want to help with the screenwriting. He's just like, let Fincher do his thing. He thought, well, the movie was uh, better. It was an improvement on, on what I did. Hmm. And that's that's a rarity. I think the last time anything was better than the original uh, was like, I think John Lennon told Joe Cocker, like, well, well, that song, Little Help With My Friends, that well, that's yours now. Hmm. And it's kind of this with, uh, with Fight Club. Because it's a good fucking movie. I need to read the book. Yeah. Uh, and before I ask your guys' opinion on this stuff, because for the people listening, of course I've seen Fight Club. <laughs> you don't say. Uh-huh. But 
Never would have got that from your intro. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, right? Uh, but Elva and Rudy have not seen this. You hadn't seen this either? I haven't seen it to like from I'm beginning surprised. to end. Oh. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, uh, in high school, there used to be an English teacher who would at lunch would play this movie. So if what? you want to go hang out. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to go hang out in the classroom or whatever, uh-huh. that's one of the movies he would have on there. I don't know if he got in trouble after. This was like 2007 kind of thing. So I don't know years later if he got in trouble for it. Or God, not. give full name now. I don't I'm remember scared. the name. <laughs> Allegedly. Like I said, it could have been a completely different movie. Uh, David Fincher actually was not the first person that was chosen to be director. One of them was Peter Jackson. Shut up. I swear to God, that was one of the first uh, the top three directors. I forget what the other two are, but... Peter Jackson was too, he, he declined it because he was too busy prepping to film a little movie that we'll find, it'll get around to eventually, Lord of the Rings. Stop, stop teasing. I'm not kidding. Do that episode already. I want to hear it. <laughs> I want to hear it. I want to hear the pain in your what a daunting. Like I sat through that. <laughs> what a daunting, daunting <laughs> episode that's going to be. It's going to be a lot of coffee involved for that one. But the studio was impressed by uh, Fincher's 1995 movie, Seven. But he didn't want any part with the studio because of their bad relationship after he did Alien 3. That's what I read. Yeah. I also read that he had the the intention to get the rights to that book. And then Fox Studios picked up that that license itself. And that's why he had to, from that bad relationship with Alien 3, he was like, oh, man, I don't want to I don't want to deal with that studio again. But they have this thing that I want to make. So I yeah. have to, let me just, you know, hold my breath and jump in. Edward Norton was basically always uh, eyed by David Fincher. I forget who, do you remember who he had wanted? I don't recall. I know they wanted to do the, uh, truly a Louis Dreyfus for, um, Marla. Really? I read that it yeah. was, uh, that it came down to Reese and Helena and that they gave it to Reese. And then she was like, you too know dark. what? This is too dark. Way too dark. So, uh, I can't imagine her doing this role. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember who else was in talks to play the narrator, but Ed Norton and Jim Carrey were up for the role of Andy Kaufman on Man on the Moon. Uh, Mm. And then they thought, well, Jim Carrey's going to sell more tickets. He's a bigger name. So we'll go with him. That makes sense. Yeah. But I'll I'll confirm. And Brad Pitt. Did you hear who the studio wanted? Didn't say him. Well, not here, but did you read who what they wanted? You know, I heard through the grapevine. <laughs> Russell Crowe. Yeah, I saw that. And I was like, mm-hmm. they, they. I heard that they. I heard that they were like, we don't want to deal with Russell Crowe. And 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 to be honest, I cannot imagine anyone else but Brad Pitt playing Tyler Durden. And that seems to be the universal opinion too. After everyone's seen it, like, oh no, no one else could have did that the way he did. So, kids, why haven't you seen this movie? Because I never got around to it. Yeah. It's going to be my answer for almost I know the majority it, of these well, movies. Well, I know you were more sheltered. Yeah. I mean, I did have a chance to to watch it in high school again, but I, I could not get out of my own class to go to that class because that wasn't my English teacher. Well, I figured, I figured I'm not, I, the reason why I was surprised that you hadn't watched it is because this movie is very anti-consumerism, anti-commercialism, and you were like a little bit of a punk rocker shit uh, yeah. back then. And you didn't watch was. this movie, huh? I didn't watch it, but I think it was also because... Um, it's okay. I won't get mad at you. <laughs> I just never got around to it. Again, you're not going to force me to watch a movie. You're going to be the opposite of what you want me to do. Rudy, though. <laughs> so I want to... Well, before you answer that question, I want to know a little about you, Rudy, because in, in our Hype Attack podcast, found wherever podcasts are available, 
we sorely discovered that you don't like horror films mm-hmm. and we won't break that down here. There's enough shame and, and uh, embarrassment and judgment in those past episodes, but <laughs> where's that shame button again? But, um, are you, would you consider yourself a movie guy? I consider myself more of like a pop culture guy. Mm-hmm. So like popular movies, like I'll, I'll go see, or I say popular movies, like good movies, stuff that, that sticks, you know, in the in the zeitgeist yeah. and i'll make it a point to go see this movie guy though like i can't sit and do what you do like i've listened to your podcast and like you sit and you analyze and you, you pick up things and i'm like oh shit i didn't even think of that mm. like i didn't even notice that oh well, that's a good point adhd brother like that's that's not one of my talents yeah. so i like because i enjoy listening to to your guys's podcast so when that Is comes he- up i'm like oh 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 though there's some a couple of times where you're describing the scene and i'm like he totally missed this line. It's like one of my favorite lines in the damn, in the whole damn movie. He didn't even mention it. Oh my God. I'm going to kick him in his ass when I see him. <laughs> hey, Rudy's a yeasty boy. The, no, trust me. <laughs> I hope that's, I hope that's a thing. I need to get a shirt for that. Yep. <laughs> trust me. As I, as I edit our own podcasts, I go through and I go, fuck Alva. I missed this part of the story or this, you know, fun. It maybe not been like, you know, a, a poignant, critical part of the story or plot but i'm like oh but it still is one of those things that people usually talk about and and i I have it happens all the time because we're nerds especially like when when i was doing kingpin i could have quoted i could have just like just ran through all the dialogue and started quoting everything but you know Mm -hmm. this isn't that type of show but the, the same thing with this movie is i'm gonna quote a lot of stuff because the the dialogue is it's amazing and most of it it's all pulled from chuck palinuk so of course the the way that that it's written is is so descriptive nobody ever talks like that but it makes you want to talk like that. Mm. So uh, I will I'll, you know get to those quotes when they when they pop up but I'm going to miss some. So people listening, I'm sorry. I love this movie as much as everyone else does and I'm just I'm going to miss some stuff but otherwise it'll be a 3 hour fucking podcast and there are other podcasts that analyze movies so deeply that they have to do two or three parts and they're about an hour and a half each. I don't want to do that. Yeah. I don't have a lot of time to edit. Okay. <laughs> so Rudy, you're generally like a pop culture movie guy. So why did you miss this one? I had to go back and look up the year that it was dropped. So 1999 to 2000, I was living in Nowheresville, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And when I say Nowheresville, I mean Nowheresville, the middle of cornfields. Um, There's a West Chesterton Finfield. (laughs) Springfield. (laughs) There's like five Springfields. Um, But that, so this dropped right in the middle of that. So I absolutely, there was one movie theater and they Mm. played movies from the previous year. Like it wasn't any kind of like on that release. So I can see where I had, especially then there was no, well, the internet was young, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have any access to it out there. So like I didn't hear about this movie until I came back to Los Angeles. And I think by that point, it was just hearing people clips, like starting to watch it on, on YouTube and stuff. And I'm like, I'll get around to it eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. like uh, it just escaped me and just like never went back to it. And then you you get the twist. Like some you watch a video that spoils the twist. And I'm like, oh well, mm-hmm. I'll get to it eventually now. And that leads and I'm not mad at you. And that leads me to <laughs> I don't, don't care. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm used to but for life. Yeasty <laughs> boys, we rise. Busy at the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thing now. Hey, if uh, if butt plugs for hypertension, <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna choke. 
asshole. It's not my equipment you're spit taking on. Um. <laughs> so that being said, that leads me to my next point. What do you guys know about this movie? I, I talked to Elva about it, but I haven't talked to you, Rudy. So I'm going to break down yours first, Elva. What did you know about this movie at all? Because, yeah, there's an obvious twist, and we'll spoil it now. There's going to be spoilers in all these episodes. Yeah. Duh. Is that Tyler Durden is a figment of the narrator's imagination. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. No. Yeah. It's going to be a whole different podcast called, You Didn't Know That? You Didn't Know That? <laughs> Fig- uh, no, Figment, but uh, he was like a full-on split personality. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He, had, he had insomnia and split personality. So, what very, did you know about? Yeah, go ahead. It was very. Um, it was not me. It was Patricia. <laughs> so, what did you know about this movie? Yeah, at all? Did you know anything about this movie? I knew it was a book. I knew I I I watched bits and pieces of it at school, and I just remember certain scenes. Mm-hmm. But it, that's all I remember from. So plot line and you, you don't didn't talk know. About, and some they don't talk about it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Easy breakdown. Do nothing. Yeah, nothing. So were you surprised at the twist? No, because I kinda as I was watching the movie, it was just very I followed it and there was hints already there. Yeah. And this is why you're better than me, because you when I first watched well, it, I, I didn't I, <laughs> I can I can cut that out. <laughs> is uh I didn't I didn't figure that shit out. Like I didn't piece it together. It's when I rewatch it that I was like, mm. oh, the breadcrumbs are laid there. But Rudy you knew about that twist. Yeah, I knew about the twist. And I tried, as I was watching it, to put myself in the mindset of not knowing. Like, if I didn't know what I look at this scene differently. And I was like, I would not have put that together better than me, too. I don't think I would have put that together until they actually, you know, towards the ending where they actually start. Like, oh, what's this? What's this? What's this? Like, you know, oh, shit. Same, same guy. That was the thing. Like, I knew they were supposed to be the same person. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how they went about it, though, because at some point I just stopped watching any clips of that because uh, i eventually i wanted to get to it and i didn't want to like deep dive it and actually like, spoil everything so right like you come across it and be like oh, okay cool i watched this but i didn't go seek it out mm-hmm. uh the two rules of fight club like i think everybody knows that like that stuck in everyone's in mind and everyone like uses it for their own purposes like it's been rehashed and reused everywhere on the internet yeah, I think uh, I read somewhere that, hold on, I'll find it right now. I got the little fun fact. <laughs> I did read that it was like number 27's greatest movie lines by premiere in 2007. Mm. So it, it's up there. Everyone knows it, even if you haven't seen that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the whole soap thing. I knew there was something about soap in it. And then, uh, yeah, Meatloaf. Meatloaf. <laughs> I always forget that he's meatloaf in it. Meatloaf and like... It was bitch tits. Yeah, those those prosthetic titties, man. Like, I, I would see it and I would be like... <laughs> damn man he really let himself go <laughs> or like he really had to beef up for this role or something and then i started researching and like oh those were that was a fat suit yeah oh, they oh. put him in a fat suit like a hundred pound with fat suit seeds. with bird seeds yeah. Yeah. It spilled over it's like oh thank god yeah <laughs> I, I i i thought because i was like oh, no one can have bitch tits like that those were they were impressive mams <laughs> those were like some h's or something <laughs> hanging I'd cry into those. God, I, I love when the, the detail on those, like he's hugging them and you just see like the areola. I'm like, <laughs> well, that's another little fun fact. And then this one's going to be strewn with fun facts is they had two fat suits because they didn't know if the studio was going to allow the, the his breasts with nipples or without. <laughs> if only we could have got that with a bat suit, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> well, guys, are you ready? We get into it. Do it. Yeah. All right. David Fincher's 1999. Fight Club, starring Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. So, the movie opens at the end. This is not a Quentin Tarantino movie where they're going to jump around 
you know, in any kind of clever way, it starts at the end so that you were like, whoa, 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 how the fuck did we get here? So it kind of like you know, adds that mystery. And you want to see how everything essentially like degrades into this shithole that he's he put himself in. But let me backtrack a little bit because it first off opens from it's like these it pulls back and it's like all these nerve endings and synapses. And apparently David Fincher said that that's they're pulling back from the fear center of the narrator's brain. It's like, oh, didn't know that until I had to fucking research it. I mean, they even went. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't have known that. I'm like, oh, they're just like somewhere in his body. And apparently they they wanted to be so meticulous about it that they actually um, had a medical illustrator help map it, that whole sequence. It's still like impressive 1999 CG. It looks really like whatever minimal CG there is in this movie was very well done. But little fun facts in there was I read about it was like because it's 1999, it took weeks to render these like couple second CG uh, little clips. So they didn't have a lot of them. So it pulls back from his the fear center. Then you see down the barrel of a gun and it's in his mouth. And then you get Brad Pitt and you get Edward Norton. He's narrating, and I usually I usually have a problem with movies that have narration. I feel like it's cheap, like it's cheating sometimes. Mm-hmm. But this one worked for the movie because you're inside the narrator's brain. You know, all these other movies, the books have you uh, sometimes third person, sometimes you know, in the first person of the character. This one had to be told through the narration. It was it was pinnacle, and even uh, even at times he breaks the fourth wall. This movie would have been completely different. I think it would have been lesser than what we got now if they didn't have his narration, also beautifully narrated by Edward Norton in his dry, depressed voice. But what were your guys' view on the narration? I I dug it just because I don't think that movie would have worked without it. Like, it had to be from his perspective, and his perspective was flawed because he didn't know he had that that split. And as Norton, as the narrator, is doing what a narrator does, which is narrating... He kind you kind of get the sense of him that he like thinks higher highly of himself compared to like all the other people. And then you you see him and he's his face deep in the in those chesticles, but then lets you know like, no, wait a second, this all started with someone named Marla Singer. For six months, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. sleep. With insomnia, nothing's real. Everything's far away. Everything's a copy of a copy of a copy. Have you guys ever had insomnia? It's easy to knock out. Like, apparently I don't get the quality of sleep, but I still, I can, I can sleep. I've never had a problem drifting off. I had problems. Yeah. I see that. that and yeah. I'm like, ugh, I couldn't even imagine what it would it be like to just not be able to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. I have bl- bad sleep habits. And so I'm usually getting four hours of sleep, five hours of sleep at most. And I'm so exhausted throughout the day. And there's times where I'm, I, it all catches up with me and I'm just dead on my feet and like, I can't function. So like watching the narrator, Ed Norton, go through that. I'm like, yeah, man, I feel you too. Right, Tyler? Yeah, right, man. You know, so. Are we your Tyler? <laughs> oh, fucking hope not. I could be more creative than this shit. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for the insult. Drink right, off. <laughs> Did you guys catch the first flash of Tyler Durden? That that one frame? They do it about like two or three other times. I thought I was having a seizure or something. I think I, I mentioned it right away. I was like, is that a glitch? And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I had to watch a YouTube video where the guy slowed it down so it showed him. I'm like, oh, okay. yeah, That's what I was supposed to be seeing? <laughs> they did a terrible job of, <laughs> of showing that to you. 
Well, uh, Fincher wanted to put a frame of him in the Fox and the Regency logo, but they're like, no, you're absolutely not going to have that happen. Although it would have been extra meta because this, this movie is about anti-commercialism, anti-consumerism. You still have to be backed by a company. Right. You know, they still got to pay the bills. Still need that, corp- that corporate sponsorship. Yeah. I mean, the, the budget of this thing was like $63 million. It was originally, I think, like 35 maybe $40 million. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, what I read was David Fincher challenged them immediately. It was like, the subversive thing wouldn't be to give me the $6 million you want to give me to make this movie. It would be to give me the 60 Oh, really? And then they told them, like, all right, prove it then. And he made the movie. How this thing was shot reflects what the budget was. It, the thing filming lasted 138 days with over 300 scenes shot and 200 locations and 72 constructed by production designer Alex Medell. So, yeah, the budget call for this fucking movie. And like I said, at the time, CG still cost a lot of money. They should have asked Starbucks for uh, some sponsorship with all those damn Starbucks cups. They did sponsor. They should did. Get, they should mm-hmm. give more. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It was uh, later on that they're like, no, 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 you can't crash the giant modern art piece into the in the coffee shop. We'll do everything but that. Like you, you can't destroy a Starbucks. No. But you can have our cups in their damn shot. So going back to it, it is so from the beginning, this movie lets you know one, you're in for a ride, and two, the narrator is insane. You see that happening within the first couple of minutes. I think like within the first ten minutes. With those little flashes of Tyler Durden, you're like, oh, it's it's happening. His brain's already breaking because of, Jesus Christ, six months of insomnia. I don't know how long people usually have insomnia. I know it's not healthy for you. And he even says it to the doctor who just doesn't give a shit. Like he's seeing him, you know, in between the hallway. The doctor's like, no, you can't die from this. Just choose some valerian root and get some exercise and you'll be fine. A typical doctor response. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when you get another flash of Tyler Durden when the doctor's standing in the hallway. I like in the slow down picture where it's his arm around the doctor. Like, Haha. is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. I, I've actually not slowed it down. Slowing it down. Slowed it down. <laughs> I've actually not slowed it down to see what the Tyler Durden shots look like. And that's so that's after uh, the narrator's talking about how much he loves his stuff, that he's just a slave to it. He's, he's addicted to it. He's a he's a fucking Ikea boy. Oh, I have, love Ikea. Yeah, they have a cool shot of, of him. Not the cool shot of him sitting on the toilet, like completely nude from the waist <laughs> down. But like that thing where he's going, it's going around his room and it's showing all of his, all of his belongings. And I have to have the yin, yin yang table, you know. Now I want the yin yang yeah. table. Fuck no. We will not be a slave to our stuff. But our stuff's pretty fucking cool. But after watching this movie, I felt guilty with like any, because I've had those thoughts. You know, you're like the comfort of, of all the things you have at home. They define me. I just, I need this last coffee table and then that's it. I have it for the rest of my life. I have this couch, so on and so forth, mm-hmm. you know, and you do at a sense, this movie got in my head. Okay. You do become <laughs> like a slave to your things at a certain point. Like if, if somebody were to come in and go and all your stuff burned down, you get to keep your like, you know, your sensitive belongings, like f- uh, family photos or whatever, but your couches and everything, like most people would be distraught about it. I'd be I, like, great, I got a new couch now. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I grew up with shit, so we're like all next to nothing. So all the stuff that I have right now is like, man, this is really cool to have. And if it all burned down, I'd be like, oh, I can rebuild. Mm-hmm. And I can get new stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm not I'm not married to anything that's in here. Like, I don't, I don't look at the bed and be like, that bed is going to be the bed I die in. I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm going to get a, a new one two days before I die. You know who's like he that? <laughs> you know who else is like that who's just not a slave to their stuff? Tyler Durden. Hmm. Yeah, he's a little more... Uh, Unhinged? Yeah. Yeah. He's a little more fanatic about that. So we're at a support group in a church's community center. 
specifically the uh, the testicular cancer meeting, mm. you know, per the doctor's prescription. Lazy fucking doctor. And, Change your doctor. Yeah, and then you finally get to formally meet Bob Meatloaf. I love Meatloaf. And the narrator narrates and says, Strangers with this kind of honesty make me go a big rubbery one. Go ahead, Cornelius. You can cry. <laughs> Descriptive and flowery. <laughs> this movie is a dark comedy. The three-fourths of this movie are dark comedy. Like, for instance, in, in that meeting, one of the guys is talking about his life and then starts crying, and you can't help but chuckle because of the way that it's shot. Now, if this was any other movie, mm-hmm. you're like, this is a heartfelt moment. It's so sad. But Fincher is... I'm going to pat his back for a second. He shoots it in such a way that you're allowed to laugh at it. He's like, no, no, it's, it's a dark comedy. Like every other scene, if not every scene, is going to have these moments where you're having to chuckle. Because it's not how those characters deliver those lines, but it's just the way that the context of it, you know. So you can laugh at the guy that is uh, crying about uh, his wife starting another family. <laughs> Sorry, boy, you got no balls. And one she of, had a girl. One of the things I read about that was one of the extras got up and walked out when they were, were doing that because he didn't like the subject matter. And there's there's a through line with that. I mean, like we would have had Reese Witherspoon, but she thought it was too dark of a movie. And it kind of goes throughout the entire thing of like, how did the studios even approve this shit? Like, it is a very dark movie. But that's my sense of humor. It is, and I promise you I won't have a split personality, but that that is my sense of humor. I'll of, let you guys know about that later. Yeah. Is you, you, you know... You know, if you don't laugh, you cry like that guy. And and I laugh at like the dark stuff that happens. I don't compartmentalize enough to you know break my psyche. Yet. Yet. So back to Bob and Cornelius. You never get to know the narrator's name. In the credits, he's the narrator, but he never reveals his actual name. He's either Cornelius or he's Rupert or he's Travis, all taken from movies. Cornelius, Planet of the Apes, Rupert, King of Comedy, and Travis, Travis Bickle, and Taxi Driver. Well, he's narrating. At one point, he starts referring to himself as Jack. He does that because he is reading those um, those medical journal things, making a joke to himself. He's referring back to okay. that thing. I am Jack's complete lack of surprise. And that is another little hint that it's there's a split personality right there. Oh. Yeah. That's like, I was like, why is he saying I am Jack? I'm like, is he Jack? And he's saying, talking third person. Mm. That's when I kind of started finding little things to like save for later. But I, I like not knowing his name. To me, he's Discount Tyler Durden. <laughs> discount. Babies don't sleep this well. I became addicted. addicted. And you get to see him like looking down the, the list of all the, the meetings. And you get like Incest Survivor, regular AA, Overeating Anonymous, and just goes on. <laughs> the Incest Survivor just... <laughs> I don't know why. It just tickled me. What a jerk, though. Like, no one else needs that schedule. Like, it looked like someone actually handwritten, <laughs> handwrote that thing to put it up. So people would just, oh, let me write it down in my own little notebook. It's like, no, let me just take the whole thing. You'll learn that, too, about this guy. He's like, he's not a considerate dude. He's just numb zombie mode throughout his whole life. He's depressed, if you haven't figured that out. Maybe that's adding to his insomnia. I mean, the lack of sleep would probably cause depression. Or the other way around. I mean, maybe it's a little bit of like an Ouroboros. Snake eating his tail. But in these meetings, in the whole montage of all these meetings, and he's going to, like, <laughs> the sickle cell thing, which if you're not familiar with sickle cell disease or disorder, usually you're, like, African-American <laughs> or you're Hispanic, <laughs> and he's the only white person in there. 
kind of doesn't go over well. And then one of the meetings I think is like the cancer, uh, the cancer one is they're doing this whole uh, meditative thing. And then, you, you know, he's in the cave and the penguin says, slide, <laughs> slide, <laughs> little fun production fact. For, well, first and foremost, fin- this is Fincher's warning to the audience that like shit's about to get surreal. Mm-hmm. But also the breath it's comped in is uh, it's recycled special effect from Titanic. It's Leonardo DiCaprio's breath. Jack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hey. Oh, oh, my God. My mind is blown. <laughs> Sorry. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible how we don't make these intuitive leaps and she's Jack. Like, oh, <laughs> This also happens when I go back and listen to our episodes and I go, oh, I didn't piece that shit together. I'm just rambling on. <laughs> and she ruined everything. This is cancer, right? This chick, Marla Singer, did not have testicular cancer. She was a liar. Marla, the big tourist. Her lie reflected my lie. And suddenly, I felt nothing. I couldn't cry. So once again, I couldn't sleep. I fucking love Helena Bonham Carter. And her look is so, like, smelly and dirty. Ugh. She, she, I was ickied, mm-hmm. ickified. You have the ick. But at the same time, I was like, show me more. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it was. No. Like, some scenes I was like, ooh, and some scenes I was like, Ugh. Because she is what the narrator has is trying to achieve, which is not giving a fuck. Being able to live through life. Yeah, he's hoping that he, you know, the plane crashes. He's passively suicidal is what it's called. And he just wants sleep. But she's, all, she's also passively suicidal, but she's not like in full zombie mode. Like she's not living her life either. <laughs> she's not a great person. Okay. Mm-hmm. But he wishes that he was at her level of like not giving a fuck. He give he, he is such a slave to all of his shit and his job. He's a schmuck. She comes in with her fucking cigarette. And I was like, yeah, that's sexy. <laughs> I liked her. She did base her character off of like Judy Garland later in life. She also asked the makeup artist to do it with her left hand. Oh, yeah. Because she yeah. she said, I don't know. I, I don't think that uh, Marla Singer would be the type of woman who, who uh, knows how to put her makeup on. To be put together. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, the sound design throughout this entire movie and the songs in it is like, it's just perfect. The sound of like when she's exhaling the smoke. Oh, it's so gross and like in my face and makes me completely immersed in this like disgusting world that Fincher has built, which is the inside of the narrator's head. Again, he thinks highly of himself. He's like, oh, I'm going to go tell this mm-hmm. bitch off. And finally works up the nerve and does it. And she doesn't give a shit. And it just like kind of falls through. But they end up trying to make a deal. And as they're doing that, he they're walking down the street. And she goes into the laundry and takes some clothes and sells it. Like, what a shitbag human being. <laughs> you got to make some money. You got to survive. In this economy, you have to do it. What are, what are the things that maybe you can help me with this? Why did it take him out of his comfort or whatever he was getting out of those meetings that she was there and she was faking. Like, why Why was that such a splinter in his mind? Or he couldn't get what he was getting out of it. Yeah, because he, he was able to sleep because he was able to cry and release and let go. She's a reflection of what he is, which is a liar. Because the, the character of the narrator is also a shitbag, but a passive shitbag that doesn't take ownership of the shittiness that he is. Hmm. 
And so this is the first part of like somebody rubbing in his face that he sucks. And he didn't like any bit of that. Mm. That makes sense. I feel like during that whole thing where he sees her in all the other meetings, I feel like he's obsessed with her. He admires her. And then later on, he does say that he likes her. I think, yeah, I think it's like an attraction he doesn't want to admit to. Oh, my God. This is no segue to it, but like, what do you guys think of Chloe? Oh, yeah. Chloe. Chloe looked the way Meryl Streep's skeleton would look if you made it smile and walk around the party being extra nice to everybody. I felt for her. There, there are two people in this whole thing that I felt bad for, and it was Chloe and Bob. We're like the Bob. only genuinely like sweet people. Chloe only wanted to get a fucked <laughs> before she died. I yeah, have I mean, lubricants and anal nitrates. <laughs> I, have, uh, she has. I don't know why they had to go that that deep into the people so if, if they weren't going to be like relevant to the story later. But it was, I guess, a good illustration of how dark some of these people are are going because they're yeah. you know they're really facing the end and he and he later says he kind of touches he touches on that a little bit and when he later says oh god why are you doing this it's cheaper than a movie and this free coffee why do you do it i don't know when people think you're dying man they really really listen to you instead of just instead of just waiting for their turn to speak <laughs> yeah and i felt that I maybe not have been depressed as this guy, but like I've had those moments where you feel like I just want somebody to like to see me. You know, you've been around. You've been around people where they're just waiting for their turn to talk. Mm-hmm. Right why, here. why are you looking right yeah. at me? Because <laughs> you're talking and I'm waiting for my turn. Feel free to jump in at any moment. I tried. You talked over me. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I think as a society, we started to love people that just did what they want. Breaking Bad, Sons of Anarchy, to name a few. Peaky Blinders kind of that one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there is something attractive about someone who doesn't have to worry about or not have to, but who doesn't just give a shit about the consequences yeah. necessarily. Like, well, I'm going to do this and I don't care who it hurts or what it hurts. I'm just going to do it because this is what I want to do. So we jump to a travel montage and you get to see how bleak the narrator's life is. And his job is a recall coordinator. <laughs> what a crappy job. Oh, yeah. Because in the, the incident that he's inspecting, but along with these other two assholes, they're commenting on like, oh, look at that. The teenager's braces are on the, the ashtray. Around the backseat ashtray. Might make a good anti-smoking ad. The car crashes and burns with everyone trapped inside. Now, should we initiate a recall? The father must have been huge. You see where the fats burned to the seat? The polyester shirt? Very modern art. <laughs> oh, that was so gnarly. I was like, ooh, okay. Why didn't Kia cars get this person for their recall? <laughs> If you wake up at a different time, in a different place, could you wake up as a different person? You get that glimpse of Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden. Fincher's telling you exactly what the fuck's happening. You just have to open your eyes. This is not a conventional movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Genius. Well, I mean, it's based on a on a beloved book, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have to go into it assuming that your audience kind of already knows what's going on. So why not throw those nods in early? And then for the people who haven't read the book, and they're like, oh, the clues were there the whole time. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you watch the Rosie O'Donnell show and then she spilled it for everyone. Oh my Did God. you read about that? Yeah. I'm yeah. going through my research. On, <laughs> I got to that part. I was like, couldn't sleep for days. Holy she said. shit. Yeah. Holy shit. I, if I was Brad Pitt and Ed Norton, I would have assassinated her. Well, they said, they said it was unacceptable and they were just furious with her. Hi, I'm Isaac with You Haven't Seen That Podcast and fuck Rosie O'Donnell. 
She looks like she wears underwear with dick holes in them. <laughs> Thank you, Dave Chappelle. <laughs> and then you finally get the reveal of Tyler Durden sitting next to him. Storytelling in the movie making, right? It's the side shot of Ed Norton, and then it sort of pans around and reveals Tyler Durden. Kind of like telling you, oh, maybe it's at that moment that his personality split. And as soon as Brad Pitt hits that screen, Mm-mm-mm. yummy. Questioning everything. Good looking. Great glasses, by the way. Oh, Gr- great those, hair. Those glasses he had on the plane are actually glasses for insomniacs to block out the blue light. Fuck off. I didn't yeah. know that. Fun facts. As soon as he starts talking, Tyler Durden is chock full of information. And the narrator is impressed by it, but doesn't pay attention exactly what he's saying. Even Tyler Durden is letting him know, I'm your imaginary friend, but says it real quick. And because Norton's so distracted, but all this like bullshit monotony in his life, Mm -hmm. he doesn't pick up on it the way that we, the audience, don't exactly pick up on it. So Tyler Durden's full of this information. Again, the spoiler is that he is the narrator. So did the narrator know all of this information? Was it done as he was like idly watching TV in the background? Like, how do you know about like the explosives? You know, but the writers did say like, no, 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 that's not an actual like recipe because we didn't want uh, people to start blowing shit up. Apparently in the book, he, they do the real recipe. Fuck, I have, I have that book. You want to borrow it? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. <laughs> it, it reads, by the way, the book reads like the movie and vice versa. Like it's real quick. I love Stephen King, but Stephen King takes like a chapter and a half to describe a fucking room. You've mentioned this before, yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And has been on mic, so I have to say it. Sorry, Stephen King. I love your stuff and I love your stories and characters and all the intermingling stuff. Um, really, dude? You got to describe a room forever and ever? I'm like, I got it. So I can explain everything? <laughs> can you explain? I love it. A shirt is born. Ah, now a question of etiquette. As I pass, do I give you the ass or the crunch? Cut to the narrator. Um, his luggage is missing. They had the handlers heard it vibrating, which the guy at the desk says, oh, I thought you wanted to say it. No, and you I were just... like, fuck, I want to say dildo. <laughs> I see her. Dildo. <laughs> it's a what? It's a yeah. dildo. <laughs> but of course, in the event of a dildo, it's uh, a dildo and not your dildo. I couldn't quote this movie just off the top of my head. It's another Pulp Fiction for him. It is. Please tell me you've seen Pulp Fiction. Of course I've seen Pulp Fiction. Okay, it's Doug shit. that hadn't seen it, and I still want to break that down with him. So shit starts to go downhill after he meets Tyler. The narrator drives up to his condo, and it's blown to shit. It just blew up out of the window, and all of his shit's strewn on the ground. All the Ikea furniture. The yin-yang table. The refrigerator full of condiments. It looks like a refrigerator. Full of condiments and no food. The police would later tell me that the pilot light might have gone out letting out just a little bit of gas. That gas could have slowly filled the condo, 1,700 square feet with high ceilings for days and days. Then the refrigerator's compressor could have clicked on. Boom. He doesn't have anyone to call. He's a loner. And he at first calls Marla. Doesn't say anything. He's just like, I hear you breathing, and he hangs up. Why did he call Marla? Because I was the first person that popped in his head. Oh, also, I think the number was on the floor. Oh, the like, one thing that didn't burn down. Yeah, survived yeah. the explosion. I think out of the entire movie, that was one of those things where I was like, really? But, you know, but paper. it's a surreal movie. Then fiddles around his pocket and discovers the business card and it's Tyler Durton's. And he says, I don't know why I called him, but it did. 
everything that Tyler Durden does is like, I want to live like that, you know, like screening your calls and only calling them back, you know, star 69. Remember that? Or star, mm-hmm. was it star 69? Star yep. 69. Have you ever done that? Star 69? Mm-hmm. Is that where you like flip around and you're only eating buttholes? Yeah. <laughs> Because I had it in my head too. <laughs> it was in my head too. I'm like, now nah, resist. Resist. Don't and I'm over here. I'm like, I'm just going to say it. Like, don't, don't go for the low hanging fruit. Come on. You're better than that. Oh, shut nope. up. I'm not. <laughs> we are not, apparently. So many roles of Brad Pitt eaten as he's talking. That's like a no no mm-hmm. <laughs> film. But he's over the phone. You just hear him crunching on some cereal as he's talking. And he's like, what's up? You know, and then so anyways, they meet up for some beers and this fucking beige bitch of the narrator is like complaining about his loss of all of his stuff and the stuff. It it, it was me, you know, and Tyler's like, okay, whatever. Apparently that whole scene took like 38 takes and it was all like ad lib. Like, how do you stitch that shit together? That's why I'm not movie making. And from the get go, he's already talking about like anti-consumer stuff. So he's trying to get his thoughts into the narrator's head. And the narrator, he's not listening. You know, he goes to, he, he went to these meetings because he likes when people are actually listening to you and not just waiting for your turn to talk. But yet, when Tyler's talking, it's just going right over his head. Mm-hmm. Things you own end up owning you. I love that line. I wrote it down. At one point, he, was, he offers him uh, a cigarette. Uh, Norton had quit smoking for like a long time, but it was this role that got him smoking again. Oh, I didn't I know that. that. I read that the movie he did previously, Rounders, that like he refused to smoke on that. But he, like, his character was, like, in prison, so he traded in cigarettes. And, yeah, I don't smoke them. I just trade them. But apparently he was like, no, give me all the cigarettes. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> like freaking I don't think you've ever smoked cigarettes. It's not how you do it. You don't go, nom, 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 nom. Sorry, I, that was a, a David Leary reference. Oh, really? From way back. <laughs> you listen to any of his comedy specials, that's how he smokes. <laughs> He's like, yeah, give me the cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> Like Cookie Monster. But it's hard to quit. It's fucking, ugh. I used to smoke. It's a disgust. Like, I, I picked it up again, and, like, uh, earlier this week, I was like, all right, Alva, I'm going to go be a disgusting human being for a second. And I'm like, it's fucking gnarly. So, apparently, after three pitches of beer, the narrator never asks what he wanted to ask. But Durden is, like, ten steps ahead of him. He's like, just ask, man. I'm going to get a hotel. No, no, no. You want to stay over? That's why you called me. Like, duh. That is why you called him. This one just to hang out with a fucking random stranger mm-hmm. who could make bombs. But in exchange, he says, I want you to punch me. You hit me as hard as you can. Oh, yeah. So Fincher uh, actually told Norton to hit Brad Pitt in the ear for, I don't know what reason, but it worked out. And in the back, you could actually see him a little, like laughing. And then you get a fourth wall break where the narrator's talking to camera and telling you who Tyler Durden is. He's a part-time uh, projectionist in which he gets to splice in one frame of porn. <laughs> you laughed so hard at this scene because like the kids seen it and the parents are like did i just see that and the kids like <laughs> they ruined my my childhood movie someone made the point in a video that i watched is like how does a little kid know what the hell that was in yeah. the first place to yeah. be scandalized by it i'm like that's a good point because the first kid was just like what was that but i love the way it plays out it's like but when Durden looks at Cameron goes, Nice big cock. Swear to God, change me for life. <laughs> <laughs> and then he also works at a banquet and adds his own seasoning to the lobster bisque and the chowder. 
As one would. <sighs> Working for fancy people. So we're back at the front of the bar and he says, how much do you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? Which still sticks in my head to this day. Have you ever been in a fight? No. Elva? Yes. Yeah. So she knows herself. She has a level of confidence that I was attracted to. Also looks like, you know, Mia Wallace. But I mean, what do you feel? How do you feel about like not having ever been in a fight? I mean, I can I punch you in the ear. I have I've never been in like an adult fight. Like as a kid, like I've scrapped, but not to the point where it's like I want to, you know, really hurt the other person. Yeah. It's just one of those things where like, oh, look, it's ah. But I think and I think I read somewhere else, too. It's like the bigger you get as you're growing up, like when you get past a certain point, big guys usually don't get challenged as much as like, you know, mm-hmm. normal, regular sized guys. Like, yeah, that that fuck around and find out scale kind of skews. They're like, oh, I don't look at that guy. He could probably do things to me that I don't want done. So, well, that's where like my sense of humor was born from because I had to use it as a defense mechanism and not fuck around too much. But you know, I don't have my shit because I know I can't back it up. Mm. So I learned to like avoid those situations and like make you laugh instead of make you want to hit me. Oh no, I was I was opposite. I was like, let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> let's find out. We're gonna do a. You have that gleam in your eyes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Oh, like, oh, 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 are we about to find out? Yeah, find out. <laughs> that's why I'm like, okay. So you see me pulling my rings off. You're like, oh, shit. (laughs) So they start fighting each other and they like it. They're they're like so into it. It's almost like masochistic. But it's, you know, laying the seeds of like what's to come. Mm -hmm. And finally, they make their way back to the house. And what a fucking dump. If you were the narrator who's used to this, like the comfort of his condo and all these nice things, would you even stay there? No. As soon as he sat on the bed, I'm like, "Mm -mm. Uh -uh. Mm -hmm. Uh -uh. that ain't it. The piss stains, the shit stains, maybe. I got like some, I need a tetanus shot. But I think, because I was wondering this, but I I was like, I think the narrator, as much as he maybe wouldn't have wanted to stay in a dump like that and complain about it, he's not in control of his life. So he's along for the ride. And so you get this sequence of them fighting in uh, in front of the bar and more people starting to join. And one guy's like, can I be next? They're like, okay. And the look that they give each other is like, we're on to something here. At the same time, they're still staying at that at that house and, you know, kind of, as he says, like they were kind of like Ozzy and Harriet at some some moments. Now, after having multiple of these fights in front of the parking lot, you can tell the narrator's becoming a little more relaxed, like he has some of his blood on his collar. He doesn't wear a tie anymore. Yeah. After fighting, everything else in your life got the volume turned down. What? You could deal with anything. And then you have your first uh, exchange of Tyler, the narrator, asking, who would you fight if you could, dead or alive? As like Tyler Durden's bathing <laughs> and the narrator's patching himself up. And then he puts that same cloth that he's bathing with on his freaking <laughs> face. Hey, man, have you ever grew up in a household where you didn't have a loofah and you had a washcloth? Wash, a washcloth? So you didn't, you didn't have siblings? No, I didn't. Yeah, I have siblings, but I don't even have anything. You didn't have the one washcloth? It was a bar of soap. Oh, man. You had to pluck the hairs off? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. I had a hairy dad. Uh, you know what? Looking back on it, I've never really noticed. So either everyone else was pretty good about, you know, washing the thing off. I was always like, after I used it, I'm like, let me get a couple layers off of this thing and put it back. <laughs> Who would you fight? If you could, dead or alive. Ah, oh, shit, I should have thought about that. Yeah, Are we talking about know. celebrities or just a person? Don't look at me. You want to fight me? Yeah. 
Who would you fight? Oh, man. That's very hard. Ooh, I think I would fight my dad's ex. We just never got along. Man, I remember we started dating. You were complaining about her. I was like, dude, don't shut up about her. And then I met her. I was like, what a bitch that fucking lady is. <laughs> Damn. Rudy? I would go and fight my dad. My dad was a hard ass when, for the short amount of time I had him. He was a hard ass. And I think eventually we would have got there anyway. Would have been like, all right, old man, I'm big enough. You want to come discipline me? Come discipline me. I am in the same and boat with you. Let us test ourselves. Yeah, there, there, there was moments as I was coming up, uh, mainly like in my early 20s where he, he wasn't living with us anymore. And he was pushing buttons. And I was like, you want to go? But he was all bark, no bite. And I was like, damn it. I really wanted to punch him. You ended up punching your truck instead. Oh, I did. I fucking fr- like, I think I like got a hairline fracture from punch- punching my truck. Now, going back to it. We still see them starting the fight club in the parking lot. They're still going back and forth with all that shit. And it's closing time. And they talk with the bartender. The bartender talks to the narrator, not Tyler Durden, and leads him down to the basement. And you get your first setting for the fight club. It's dingy shithole the basement. It's not creepy. It's just smelly. It looks smelly. <laughs> this joke's in there somewhere. It's not creepy. It's just smelly. But it was Tyler that gave this club a name, Fight Club. And finally... You get your rules of Fight Club. Do you guys know off the top of your head? Don't look. I know the first two. That's it. Yeah. Don't talk about Fight Club and don't talk about Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, only two fighters. Mm-hmm. When someone taps out or they go limb, fight stops. Mm-hmm. You could only fight once. A- if you haven't, if you're new, you haven't fought before, you have to fight. Yeah. You have it's to fight you. the night. If this is your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. Would you guys ever be part of a fight club, knowing that if it's your first time, you have to fight, knowing that it's a no holds bar type of fight? Because they bloody the fuck out of each other. This is like a fuck around and find out thing, right? Yeah, no, I don't want to find out. <laughs> I don't mind the, the bruises and the cuts and all that stuff. I just, I'm real sensitive about my teeth. Mm-hmm. I know I would lose the frenzies and then I'd walk around with those gaps and that would just bother me. This is why you're like never, a hockey player. I was about to say, is this why you've never played hockey? <laughs> that and I'm deeply Mexican. <laughs> so my, my ice skating skills are, are non-existent. And finally, you get your first fight club in the basement scene. And Tyler and the narrator are circling. And they love it. They see what they're doing and what they created. It's starting to become a little bit more than them. I really like that, that scene where they're just walking around. Because mm. it, it just uh, shows how proud they are yeah. of what they uh, made. Because there was more, they realized that there was more people like them. There's people that are in blue collar jobs. Miserable. Oh, so miserable. I don't need a fight club. I, I'm okay with my job. <laughs> Rudy, do you feel <laughs> like you need a fight club? No. <laughs> I think this is our fight club. <laughs> Verbally beating the hell out of each other. There's these little moments where Fincher lets you know that the narrator isn't all there in the head. When he's getting patched up by the doctor and he says, sometimes Tyler spoke for me. You fell down some stairs. I fell down some stairs. But at this moment, they're so proud of what they're doing that it's changing. Well, specifically, it's changing the narrator's perspective on everything as that was a whole point of like Tyler Durden's creation. And then Marla calls as Tyler Durden's doing his, his karate. Don't interrupt my kung fu. <laughs> I noticed that too. I was like, <laughs> what's he doing? <laughs> it doesn't matter as long as the shirt's off. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and Marla calls and she's she tells the narrator that she took Xanax. A whole bottle full of them. Yeah. A little fun fact. No, Xanax doesn't make 300 milligrams. <laughs> they do like five, 10 mm-hmm. milligrams. 
three hundred. I'm just like, she got my prescription. <laughs> but uh, this is one of the, the few moments, like us uh, outside of him, his old uh, description of Tyler Durden, where like as he's talking and as she's talking, he's listening, and he just looks at camera for a quick second, kind of like Jim in the office, like a, mm, okay, mm-hmm. and and he lets her continue talking and just doesn't hang up the phone, but puts it puts it on top of the phone. See, kids, back in the day, we didn't have cell phones. Okay, we have corded phones. That's right. There was a wire attached to it. <laughs> so he sets it on top of the holder, and then you get this like trippy acid trip of a of a sex scene, and it looks like it's Marla and Tyler, you know, just really going at it and like fucking sexy ass music and shit. <laughs> they, and it almost whole, looks like long exposure. Yeah, that whole rotation is lifted entirely from the Matrix. Like, Fuck the bullet time. They the Matrix had come out and was revolutionizing. You know that that particular That's right, yeah rotation, and they're like just put the whole rig. It's so fucking intricate, like oh, that movie type of magic for, what is it, five seconds? Yeah. If even that. Now that you know that the spoiler of the narrator being Tyler Durden, when it cuts to the narrator waking up, it sort of implied like, oh, he had a weird dream of Marla. But you notice that they're never in the same room, Tyler or Marla. Never. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Now you know the yeah. spoiler. And she's pissed off and she then takes off. And we get the cut to Tyler picking up that phone. And she's that whole sequence is like so gross. She has like the dildo on top of the dresser. Oh, that's not a any threat to you. That's not a threat to you. <laughs> and Tyler's so into it. My favorite part of that whole scene is where they duck into the hallway as the cops are going by, and he's yeah. standing there like <laughs> <laughs> she's screaming back. She's a monster. Yeah, because apparently somebody called the cops on them. Yeah, um, she probably called it herself. Yeah, like how how are we gonna know that someone's committing suicide? That scene almost took me out of the movie for a second. When they started pounding on the door, he's like, you have every reason to live. I'm like, <laughs> oh, come on. What? Come on. No, that was perfect. That corny as shit. <laughs> it was but, meant to But be. the way it was said, it was just like, all right. It, it, that feels like a best friend telling their yeah. friend, like, you, you're, don't worry. There's a purpose to everything. <laughs> he takes her back to the house where then she says, I'm afraid to fall asleep. You're going to have to keep me up all night and he is so into it and he like looks at her like <laughs> and then you get cut to uh the narrator is being told by tyler to stay away from her but then sits him down like he the narrator the, the, the narrator tyler in these moments he'll like have, be having fun with stuff and then click into the seriousness but the narrator doesn't pick up on it before marla leaves she she goes i haven't been fucked like that since grade school <laughs> The behind the scenes on that shit is amazing too. But, oh my god! But it's like where she just falls and she's like, "My god, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school." And I was like, "What a fucking lie!" Tyler digging it. <laughs> yeah, which was supposed to actually be like her saying, "I want an abortion." I want to have your abortion. Yeah, I want to have your abortion. <laughs> oh my god! That was the whole thing. Ooh. The the studio head was like, "No, you can't have that," and he was like, well, "Okay, well, if I change it." The whatever comes next has to go into the final cut. <laughs> yeah, so like, you can't change it. As long, as long as you change that fucking line, put whatever. And then he put this new line. And she was like, No, put the other line back in. This one's <laughs> 10 times worse. It's like, deal. Nope, you <laughs> fucked up. Shook hands on that. Yeah. And then everybody says, this, None of this would have happened if I just went to go watch Marla die. Do you think that the narrator actually would have done that? No. Gone and watch her die? No. Like, he's not a good person, but he's above like all that type of dark shit. He's a scumbag, but he's not a, a unfeeling scumbag. Like there's, you see little hints of empathy in him. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been completely out of character for him to watch her die. 
I think that if he would have mustered up the courage or whatever, the confidence to go to her place, I think he would have boned her. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, okay. Do you think yeah, so? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because he he is interested in her. He's that like he's, he's like nagging himself about her to himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the next like minute is the narrator walking out through the house, and then the sounds of Tyler and Marla just going at it. Like nobody, I'm sorry, maybe I'm boring in bed. Sorry, <laughs> but, but like, no one is screaming like that. <laughs> the sound ADR, whatever they call it, for that took them like three days of the. Uh, just making those noises. What a fun gig <laughs> for three days. So you're going to be in a room with the sexiest man in the world, and uh, you're just going to be making orgasmic sounds for three hours. What a gig. And I'm over here killing bugs. A gig is a gig. <laughs> it's a gig. <laughs> I think the narrator's less grossed out by all that shit and more jealous of Tyler. Because Definitely. because even, even though he doesn't have his belongings, he still has to have an addiction. You know, mm-hmm. people that have addiction problems, when they remove one thing, they have to fill it in with another. And he filled his addiction hole with Tyler Durden. It's his special friend. Aww. Come gutters. Yes. <sighs> Opens up that door. Just, just pan, lower the camera. Yeah, lower the camera down. Lower the camera just <laughs> a tad bit down. It's already an R. Just give me the top of it and I'm good. Wait a second. Wait a second. Is that why we bought rubber gloves the other night? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, they're not yellow. They didn't have them. They're not movie accurate, babe. That should tickle my fancy when you open the door and he's wearing that. <laughs> <laughs> the yellow glove. I'm like, what, what are they doing? <laughs> I don't know if it's it's because of what's happening at home or or because of like the fight clubs, the fights he's having, desensitizing him, but he's like getting in everyone's face at the office and he's like smoking in the office. Oh yeah, he's just giving like less of a shit every time. But he's so distracted by all this. When he finally gets a call from the detective who's investigating his condo blowing up, the mm-hmm. detective's telling him like well it turns out that we found remnants of nitroglycerin and then you get tyler dirt in the background saying tell him what tell him you did it but he's not paying attention he's so fucking distracted tyler in that moment says tell him the liberator who destroyed my property had realigned my perception it's said right and he misses it completely well the the delivery too with uh brad pitt is almost like throwaway lines like just tell him tell him all this this random bullshit like and there's there's a bunch of other moments that I can't like. Will you rewatch this movie to try to find those little little uh, Easter eggs, if you will? I kind of want to watch it with the group, just so I can like get everyone else's reaction to it too. So yeah, definitely want to see it again. Who has not seen it? They, I'm pretty sure they've all seen it, but yeah. I want them to be like, oh, this part, oh, this part. Like yeah. I want to see where what they focus on. And I'm pretty sure Rachel's never seen this movie. <gasps> I'm friends oh. with her. Wait, did you, did you not end up not watching <laughs> it with her? No, I, I watched it on my own because I. I gotta watch it on my own. I don't need anything else. I don't need to add to that. Period. She she's out, she's out there right now watching Gilmore Girls. Like our tastes differ wildly, uh, but where they overlap, they overlap pretty strong. Do you think she would have liked Fight Club? I think so. I think you just have to get her past that whole. Oh, it's a fight. They're just fighting. Like, there's no like it's ill. They're just fighting. Just show her a picture of Come Gutters. <laughs> sure. Does she like Brad Pitt? They're, I think so. I think everyone likes Brad Pitt. I don't know. Some people don't like him. Mm. Angelina don't like Rapid. Uh, apparently, she still does. Ooh. Oh, so does Jennifer they Aniston. Yeah. Oh, snaps. Yeah. A little yeah. love triangle right there. It's great. You're right. Yeah. Condom is the glass slipper of our generation. 
You slip one on when you meet a stranger. You dance all night. Then you throw it away. The condom. I mean, not the stranger. What? And then she comes up behind him and like starts hitting on him. Now, because you know the spoiler, you know why she's doing that. But when you don't, you're like, what a fucking flus. And finally, we get to that scene where they make soap. And that whole sequence, you know, carrying the bag, it's so disgusting. I, I saw Elvis' face like, oh, and the bag rips. Yeah, where they punch oh, the bag on the, on the barbed wire. And he's just like trying to. He's trying to catch it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it just looked nasty. And they're back at the kitchen. How do you guys feel about that lie burn scene? That shit was wild. And in the context of he's doing it to himself. I have to try to watch the movie sometimes with like in the scope of like, what if he wasn't, ima- wasn't an imaginary person? And, you know, he did it to himself to, to come to this level of awareness, wokeness, as the kids would say nowadays. But it is, it's such a crucial moment. Like, the, Tyler tries every, at every turn to pull the narrator out of this monotony. Or even the moment where he's like, fuck this, this is nuts. Yeah. Like, why, yeah. why, am I, why am I willingly letting myself get a chemical burn? I do like in that scene, though, that how it's supposed to be, you know, profound and it's supposed to be. You know, making it a point to the fact that he keeps slapping the shit out of him. Yeah. He keeps trying to go back to his cave. This is the greatest moment of your life, man. And you're off somewhere missing. I am not. Shut up. Our fathers were our models for God. If our fathers failed, what does that tell you about God? Listen to me. To consider the possibility that God does not like you, he never wanted you. In all probability, he hates you. This is not the worst thing that can happen. It isn't. We don't need him. We don't so we're back in the office and leaves the list of the rules of the Fight Club and the copier. Why did he need to make out a list if the first two rules are don't talk about Fight Club? Was there a need to make copies of that whole thing? I didn't really think about that, but yeah, that makes sense. I have a uh, possible, wow, we just missed this moment right now. So I realized that he says Jack a lot. And Tyler is another personality of his. What if Jack is like his defense mechanism, his anxieties? And maybe Jack made that and left it there because he's so anxious of forgetting those rules. And then when he gets told, like, what is this? Something to ponder. It's pretty good. Like maybe he's running all those copies off for himself so he'll have them. Yeah. He's afraid. Or do you think at that moment, Tyler was already thinking about making franchises? Still, why would you need... No, you, you don't... No. Another one of those moments where it's just me in my own head. Well, if he didn't have the that paper, then he couldn't have that little Michael, conversation beat with his boss, huh? huh? Mm-hmm. Pretend you're me. Make a managerial decision. You find this. What would you do? Well, I gotta tell you, I'd be very, very careful who you talk to about that because the person who wrote that is dangerous. And this button-down Oxford cloth psycho might just snap and then stalk from office to office with an Armalite AR-10 carbine gas-powered semi-automatic weapon, pumping round after round into colleagues and co-workers. This might be someone you've known for years, someone very, very close to you. Tyler's words coming out of my mouth. And I used to be such a nice guy. Well, maybe you just shouldn't bring me every little piece of trash you happen to pick up. Mm-hmm. That movie came out in, in 99, and so was the... Six Columbine months after. Columbine. High school thing, because what I read was that 
they had that scene ready and they tested it for audiences and Got the audience laughed. But after that happened, it was like crickets and it made him feel uncomfortable. And according to Fincher, he left that in because, well, it leads into Marla calling him. Mm-hmm. Marla calls him at the office. How does she get his office number? She has a forwarding number to the Paper Street house. Mm-hmm. But how the fuck did she get his office number? Was it Jack? No. Tune just... in next time. <laughs> Where the lines begin to blur. Yeah, as the movie goes on, it's like, yes, there's that clean break of personalities between Tyler and the narrator. But all the while, it's starting to blur. I think I think if if the narrator wouldn't have like figured all this shit out, I think he would have inevitably become Tyler Durden. Well, that was the whole progression from him, like snapping at people at the offices, him progressing to be more like Tyler, which is his idealized version of, you know, who he wanted to be. Yeah. But anyways, Marla calls. Because she needs a breast examination. Hmm. <laughs> the whole uncomfortable breast exam thing. He could have just said no and manages to convince her. And he goes filling her up. And then she tries to reciprocate and I could check your prostate for you. That's love there, Elva. Cough. <laughs> Cough. I like how she stole some of the elderly's uh, food that was supposed to be delivered. Meals on wheels. Yeah. But they're dead. Yeah. So. They're and she's very much dead. alive yeah. and in poverty. They got one for you. That was so sweet of her, wasn't it? Yeah. That it was really like was. The sweetest moment in that quick little, I got one for you. And then he just totally brushes it off. Completely. Oh, thanks. Dick. <laughs> when he's finally leaving and he's like, all right, well, are we done? She's like, yeah, see you around. And he looks up at the apartment. Like, that's that moment that he's starting to realize, I'm starting to like her. And then he runs into bitch tits Bob. <laughs> this whole box of donuts. <laughs> he throws them. Freaking love Bob. <laughs> I love that little detail where he, he stops, he goes, Hold. yeah, <laughs> and then uses the same hand to, yeah. to go around and be like, come here. And he's like, yeah, I haven't seen any of the meetings. And he tells him that he's, you know, he has a whole nother thing. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I have one, too. I, I, well, I'm not, I'm not supposed to talk about it. He's like, Bob, look at my face. Oh, he's so he's the sweetest guy. He's the sweetest mm-hmm. character out of the whole thing. Oh, I go Tuesdays and Thursdays. I go Saturdays. <laughs> oh, good for you. But in that moment. Bob is telling him, have you heard about the guy that invented this thing? And and now you get some like backstory lore, but it's this moment where, where the narrator and his all his jealousy is like, he thought he was going to get credit for it. He starts to like, yeah, you see that. Up. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, well, not to toot my own horn. <laughs> and then he starts to go downhill. He's like, well, I heard he was born in a menstrual institution. And he's like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, Tyler Durden. And he's like, oh, no, he thinks that Tyler's like running off and like taking all the credit. Because Bob knows him as. Cornelius. Cornelius. Yeah. So he does. He does. He doesn't know that he's Tyler. And then you finally get to see Bob and the narrator fighting. And, oh my god! And Bob is oh, <laughs> just a fucking scream and his tits up in the air. Apparently, uh, fighting does excite him because his uh, his nipples are hard. <laughs> and again, he's so sweet. He later tells him, "Did I hurt you?" He's like, "Yeah, you did." Like that's the point, Bob. You know, you're you're a sweet guy, but you're also dumb. Why are you looking at me like that? I'm not sweet nor dumb. You're dumb and it's a little sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for answering, Rudy. <laughs> they were at another Fight Club meeting. Tyler Durden opens with, I see a lot of faces around here. And everyone's like, ha, ah, yeah. He's like, you're breaking the first rules. But that led me to think, what was Tyler's intention for Fight Club? Was it to start something completely new? To grow? Or did he just want it to be those like first dozen guys and just fight them over and over? It seemed to me more like a 
like this is a taboo thing. Don't tell anybody, but it's one of those. I'm going to tell you not to do it. And it's going to make you want to do it more. Otherwise, so, so maybe we'll spread it a little faster. Even when I'm telling you not to talk about it, it's super exclusive. Don't talk about it, but bring your friends. Yeah. <laughs> Cause otherwise like they would still be falling into that whole, like, well, this is the rules of uh, society. It's like, no, no, we want you. The whole idea of this thing is to break those rules. Mm-hmm. Nonconformity. This is why I bring these things to you guys. And then you meet the owner of the bar, Lou. Oh, Lou. This is one of my favorite sequences of the movie. What did you guys think about it? My whole takeaway from that scene, as good as it was, everything was, was his laugh. Oh as he's getting God. his ass whooped. Just, <laughs> but no, oh, it, it was like that, but it was like, <laughs> it was more high pitched. It was the. It was. I'll throw I'll throw a clip in here. Yeah, it's so weird it's, and like jarring. It's and like, like unhinged. Yeah, completely unhinged. <laughs> ah, Lou. Come on, man. We really like this place. <laughs> oh. oh, that's right, Lou. Get it out. Shut up. I still use that line. Ah, Lou. <laughs> Lou agrees to to let him keep the bar or let him keep the basement, right? For all that shit. It scares him to fucking death. And then Tyler gives the first homework assignment, which is to start a fight. And I love this fucking <laughs> sequence. Apparently, the sequence where the uh the scene where the mechanic hoses down the priest. Yeah. The camera shakes. Because evidently the, the cameraman is not right there. <laughs> <laughs> Stop laughing. And of all the sequences, right? Because oh, everyone tries to start a fight. It's like there's the car dealership. Call the, cops. <laughs> the guy with the bicycle. Bob tries to chase down the bicycle guy. Um, there's a couple of other ones, but the priest is actually the one that won the fight. He's the one that actually gave in. Yeah. Which is, you know, a little anti religion, but fucking hilarious. I like how fast he went from like, no, yeah. no, no, that it just all of a sudden was like, and he's like, oh, sorry. And so he runs away. Because <laughs> the, the homework assignment was start a fight but lose, intentionally lose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think somebody could, could goad you into fighting? No. You would like just run off and... Because it, especially in, in these times, you don't know what yeah. the hell the person is getting at. That's true. Like if someone wants to start a fight, my immediate assumption is like he has an ace somewhere. Mm. Something that like he... He's picking this fight because he knows he can win. Got it. As opposed, I, I guess maybe you, you have to be in the moment and you'd be like, oh, this guy's just, he just lost his temper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for the most part, like, I, I, I size up a person. I'm like, there's something. Like, he's he's holding something that's going to kick my ass or <laughs> unalive me. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want none of that. He's just feeling his big feelings, you know? Fine. <laughs> but, but for them to actually get me to fight some fight them you would have to punch me first because i will not throw that first punch but i will finish it if need be yeah because none of these guys are actually like they're starting a fight but they're not hitting first they're uh, no i'm already thinking like legally like you punch me for <laughs> self-defense yeah like i'll defend myself yeah but if someone's like oh blah 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 or like doing like throwing Water stuff hurt, at yeah. me like yeah. come on bro like i know what you're doing get out of here see this is why we haven't fought yet i'll push all <laughs> your buttons and you won't hit me because <laughs> i don't <laughs> As big as I am, I'm a gentle giant. Yeah, you are. I don't want to hurt nobody. Mm. I just want to spread that love. I like those cheeks. <laughs> Stop it, I'm blushing. 
And now we cut to, I think it, this is my second favorite scene. The narrator confronts his boss and tries to blackmail him. And the boss is like, here, a little shit. I'm going to call security. And then the narrator starts fighting himself. And there's this one moment, again, he should have known, and the audience should have known right off the bat, where it freeze frames as he's throwing himself into the shelf. Oh, God, no, please. No. For some reason, I thought of my first fight with Tyler. No. The brutality of him kicking his own ass, like the sound of, you know, his fist hitting flesh is so the brutal. Glass. The glass in his fucking hands. Oh. <laughs> I thought that was a throwaway line where he's like, for some reason I thought back to my first fight with Tyler. I, it didn't impact me. There you go. Shit. Yep. This, we're definitely going to have you rewatch it for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, during that scene, that's where I'm like, I remember watching this part of Got the it. movie. It, uh, it also reminded me of Kill Bill. And the when she's fighting uh, Vernita Green, and they're like glass breaks, oh, yeah, and she's like yeah. has a glass in her hands, but not as brutal as, as a one. narrator having it like all throughout the side of his hands, yeah. and the sound of it like scraping along. <laughs> that was one of the the scenes that I'd actually seen before I saw the movie. Oh wow! Like a YouTube clip. Oh, okay, like just a random clip of him yeah. kicking his own ass. I'm like, oh okay. It's one of my favorite fight scenes now. <laughs> and in exchange, he got 52 paychecks, 48 fly coupons. And essentially, they got corporate sponsorship. And at that moment, they realize now the Fight Club has become its own living, breathing thing. There's no one at the center of it other than the two men fighting. Then that begins their corporation, Fight Club LLC. (laughs) (laughs) And Tyler gives even more assignments. And now there's a whole sequence of they're putting up a you know, sign to say fertilize your lawn with the oh old oil. They reverse the spike strips. They smash the the cars, the European cars only. Yeah. Did you know there's a Fight Club up in Delaware City? Yeah, I heard. <laughs> there's one in Penn's Grove too. Bob even found one up in Newcastle. Yeah, did you start that one? No, I thought you did. Ah. <laughs> Edward, yeah, Edward Norton and Brad Pitt had a love for hating uh, uh, the Volkswagen Beetles. Mm-hmm. But my favorite one is the, the the switching out the pamphlets and like instead of having like oh the docile God. people in the crowd, the happy ones because of oxygen. <laughs> yeah, it's now the completely terrified with like flames on the side and everything. My favorite panel from that is the one adult who has the mask on it and he's like pushing the kid <laughs> like away from him. He's like, <laughs> Well, they do tell you. Put yours on first. Put yours on yeah, first. So that's technically, right. that would be me. <laughs> you can wait a moment. <laughs> you can wait. And this next scene is another one that stuck in my head forever. They go to the convenience store and pull out the cashier, mm-hmm. Raymond K. Hessel. And it's so profound. Have you guys ever had a, a life and you've had one, a life or death situation? You've been in a car accident or two. Yeah. You ever had any life or death situations? Did your breakfast taste delicious the next day? Were you like so happy to be alive that you ignored, you know, all those things you took for granted or not ignored, but no, I was just like, Oh my God, an accident. Okay. What's the, like my brain forgets that. Like I have to like pause Mm -hmm. and like, all right, I'm still alive. All right. We, what's the next step? All right. We got to get the car out from there. We got to get police report. We got to do whatever we got. And then like at the end, after I'm all done with all that, then I'm like, well, I'm alive. All right. But that won't be until like two, three weeks from like said accident. 
But in essence, maybe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> when he was saying that, like, like the beautiful whatever, I was like, no. Well, maybe for him, like for me, it'd be waking up in a cold sweat thinking about the gun I had to the back of my head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there's no new trauma. There's no yeah. There's no beautiful next day. It's like holy shit. I was too stuck on that his name sounded like cheese, <laughs> like queso. And I'm just like, did you say cheese? <laughs> I might have been hungry. Like the line in the song from Paramore. <laughs> it was talking about building queso or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a castle. <laughs> castle. It sounds like queso. <laughs> Where are the bring, chips? Bring me some chips. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> oh, I love it. Do you think that he did Raymond K. Kessel a favor? Yes. Because the guy was just like, probably wasn't going to pursue veterinarianism or whatever. I wonder if uh, the cashier went to go see the fight club and never fought and just walked away. Maybe that's why they went to go find him. Yeah, because later on, there's a whole wall of like, they call it human sacrifices Mm -hmm. with all their IDs. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Good theory. Because he was just random. Seemingly random. Mm Mm-hmm. And now we get this really interesting POV where Tyler's looking at camera and he's going on about... You are not your job. You're not how much money you have in the bank. You're not the car you drive. You're not the contents of your wallet. Film sort of jitters out and stuff. You're not your fucking khakis. I'm like, oh my God, he's talking to me. <laughs> you were the all singing, all dancing crap of the world. But when the film jitters out, do you think that's because he's kind of like trying to be like, narrator i am you mm, perhaps i don't know i didn't think that much into it it just seemed like an artsy fartsy choice for that mm. and once again marla is over at the house tyler is making noise in the basement and is essentially assembling bunks he's reminds him don't talk about me talk and send her off yeah. once again no leave me alone this conversation this conversation is over is over so he goes downstairs and sees all these bunks are made. He's like, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, he's not part of this. And he's getting so offended. He's getting so hurt. He's jealous about all this shit. Mm-hmm. And he says, it's for the applicants. Starts building a fucking army. And, and you get this montage of them trying to discourage the applicants. I, I love It's such a fun scene. But when Bob finally pops up and wants to be part of uh, what you later learn to be Project Mayhem, he's easily discouraged once Tyler says, well, you're too fat and your tits are too big. And he like immediately sadly yeah and you're old and picks up his stuff and leaves and i was like damn bob come on you already been part of fight club like you know what's up but then i realized oh it's because he thinks cornelius air quotes cornelius is telling him that you know his friend his buddy he's telling him that so he's like well guess you don't want me and then starts to walk off and then cornelius goes no no no, stay stay yeah takes him and like i wonder what they're like there's scenes later on where like the the members of project mayhem and the members of fight club are looking at the narrator weirdly because it's, in essence, he's he's having these conversations with himself. There's a couple of those scenes where I'm where they they don't go back and like do the flashback thing where they take you know yeah the Tyler out of that thing and it's just him. But like, how does that conversation make sense to, to in that context? Like especially when they're in the car and they're you know they're having that back and forth yeah. and let go and whatever. Um, like when they're yelling at each other and the two guys in the backseat are like, yeah, they do look weirdly at each other. Yeah, so. like I. I get that he's, you know, he's talking to himself, but it's, it's, it's super weird to be to still be in there and be like, OK, well, this is this is fine. But I, I think if you would put that dialogue, if you were to like somehow film it where it's like it's him just seeing those lines back and forth. We've all spoken to ourselves as if we're a different person. Oh, yeah. But, right. <laughs> but, that, but that scene with him when the car before it crashes uh-huh. and stuff, it's 
right there and then it's kind of where the plot is revealed oh because their face the faces of the two members in the back they're like what's going on god but it. it's only one person so when only one person is kind of pulling themselves out and making it seem like somebody else is helping them yeah it if you kind oh. of piece it all together it's like oh this is what's going this is a twist oh that's a fucking good point did you know jared leto was in this <laughs> when, when they're when i was going through the credits i saw that his name popped up because i looked up some stuff what do they I'm, call him uh, angel face <laughs> and i i saw that and i'm like oh i didn't know he was in this movie you like him as a blonde no <laughs> asked and answered he looked like a, a henchman just it's, like very... it's, it's the eyebrows that, yeah the bleach eyebrows like that, that kill it, it was, but just the way like they're in the the basement whatever and stuff's happening and all of a sudden like he just pops into the frame like <laughs> like I, I was like, <laughs> like what the hell <laughs> i haven't looked at any like pre-production stuff but or behind the scenes but i i i feel that the choice of making jared leto bleach blonde if not albino is to to intentionally make him stand out because later on he kind of starts to become tyler durden's like second hand and the narrator gets jealous he got jealous of himself and so yeah and then so later on beats the shit out of jared leto's character and tyler tells tyler Where'd you go, psycho boy? I felt like destroying something beautiful. And boy, does he. Like, dude's like swollen fucking eye, stitches down the middle of his face, teeth looks like sloth. The mm -hmm. nose looked crooked. And finally, they get news coverage because they like blew up some building. I forget what it was, but like made it look like one of my butt cheeks, a smiley face. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you notice, if you notice in that scene, um, the narrator walks in, evidently carrying one of the folders to the credit buildings later on, in which they blow up little Easter egg they throw in there. Meets up with Tyler in the kitchen, and then Tyler gives him the beer, tells him to give it to the guys, but never goes back into the room. Because like you were talking about earlier, the way that the whole Tyler narrator thing works out, or Jack, uh, works out, is he either sees himself watching Tyler, or he imagines himself as Tyler watching him. It like breaks my brain. It's hard to try to like, you know, show that filmically. Mm-hmm. I think they did their best. I think there's some little holes in here, here and there, but I'm not going to fault it. So because I got news coverage, now they made themselves known. And so the commissioner, whatever the city is trying to investigate and get rid of these anarchists, these terrorists, but they don't want any of that. So they corner the commissioner in the bathroom and threaten that if they don't back the hell off, they're going to cut his balls off. His balls are cold, sir. Ice cold. <laughs> I like the way that was shot, too, where the narrator walks up, you know, to stand over him. But then Tyler's head goes in the shot. So, yeah. you know, they're blocking each other out, but basically the same sight lines because like, they're the same person. Yes. I yeah. like that. Because, obviously, the director knew that this was going to be a split personality thing. He had to shoot it from the, be the beginning in this way that if you can rewatch it and go, oh, like mm -hmm. those things are there to show this whole split personality thing. This moment also felt a little bit like Secret Invasion, especially when Tyler is like... We are the people that look after you. Uh, we're the people you rely on. You know, essentially, they're everywhere. They're all the blue collar workers, and they're like, you know, getting that power back. I'm surprised they didn't have like a Rage Against the Machine song in here. Honestly, I think it would take away from the message that the movie was trying to give because there's kind of. Hey, if the Matrix can do it, that's the Matrix. <laughs> Matrix wasn't counterculture, really. It it was more on the nose, where you know, Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, then after that, you get the whole sequence where he beats the shit out of Jared Leto. And then when they get in the car, it's still Tyler Durden is trying to shake 
the narrator's foundations because he's just not getting it. And so lets the car drift off and tells him to let go. Look at yourself. Like still, he's so fed. Like Tyler tries all of these different approaches ever so slightly and then just turns him up to the point where he's burning his hand and beating the shit out of him. And now going to crash a car. I think Tyler at the point he's like, I'm just tired of you not seeing you why you created me. Yeah. Because even though this is now like the second or third or fourth time that the narrator has, quote, let go, he's always kind of still holding on. He's doing it just so they can get through the fucking situation. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, he's at another level of wokeness or whatever, but he's never like fully achieved awareness. Enlightenment. Yeah. What would you want to do before you die? die? Paint a self portrait. Build a house. And you? I I don't. What about you guys? Mm -hmm. I got mine. Star 69. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go to Japan. So do it, Rudy. Don't make me drive a Lincoln and do another Let's car. Do it. Don't make him crash. <laughs> his uh, his line at the end of that, though, where they're pulling away. Like, we had ourselves a near-life experience. Oh. oh. Instead of a, a near-death experience. Yeah. I was like, ha, I thought that was clever. That uh, is a vi- it's, it's How does that feel? clever. Being clever. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like this movie, the message is like, maybe you don't have to (laughs) be part of a terrorist group nor start one or be part of a fight club. But to quote Ferris Bueller, stop and look around once in a while. And at this point, Tyler leaves. We don't know how long, but he's gone while the narrator, quote unquote, recovers. And I think this is the opportunity for Tyler to like run around and start up his franchises, which is exactly what, what he does. And so when the narrator finally wakes up and he goes down into the basement and the house is alive. Mm-hmm. There is no him. The house is just completely alive. Tyler's gone. He's upset about it because he's not part of this thing essentially anymore. And they're making soap and the other guys are, you know, they're shaving the other dude's heads and uh, bringing in the recruits, the applicants. So he's bummed out about it. And Marla, again, again, this is like the umpteenth time that Marla like comes over because she loves those toxic come gutter boys. Although it was it was Ed Norton. If you were her, would you, you know? Still find Ed Norton sexy? Because he put on some, like, they were fit for that role. Mm-hmm. Put on some muscle. The more the movie went on, he started to sleep less. And then uh, Brad Pitt started to bulk up and tan. Oh. Yeah. Man. Even, can Brad Pitt? I'm asking the hard <laughs> question. Can Brad Pitt get sexier? The answer is yes. I will ask that answer. Yeah. Oh, the older he gets. Sorry. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I did read that, like, as you, you progress through that where. The narrator gets progressively, you know, more beat up, disheveled and everything. And Tyler's character gets more and more, you know, idealized. Like it's one of those things where it's like, that's the the balance of the personality. Like Tyler's starting to become ascendant more than the narrator. Absolutely. Yeah. So Marla's back again. And narrator's telling her that Tyler's gone. He's not here. What? Tyler isn't here. Tyler went away. Tyler's gone. And she's upset once again and storms off. And then it gets exciting and sad because Bob gets shot. Oh, poor Bob. Bob. This is probably one of the few moments in the movie where I get angry because Bob is so fucking sweet. He shouldn't have been part of this in the first place. Mm -mm. And these brainwashed fucking guys. Apparently the homework assignment was two birds, one stone destroy modern art piece and then wreck a coffee shop coffee franchise 
was supposed to be Starbucks. Starbucks is like, no, you can have our coffee cups in the background of every scene, but you can't <laughs> tear this place down. Continuity, little error. He gets shot in the back of the head, but when mm-hmm. they pull his ski mask off, like the exit wound is in the back of his head. Mm-hmm. So just a little, a little goof. Everything just Yeah, but oh, it was just the 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 way that everything poured out was so visceral. Yeah, and immediately Jared Leto, now his face is all beaten up and shit, is like, we got to bear in the backyard because he's just a man of action because Tyler trained him that way. But the narrator's like, no, this is this is a Bob, you know, Robert Paulson. Okay. Robert Paulson? He's a man, and he's dead now because of us, all right? Do you understand that? I understand. In death, a member of Project Mayhem has a name. I think that was poetic. Well, I think the same goes, like, not to dig too deep in this shit, but I think the same goes for life. Like, we don't really, we're kind of anonymous as we go through our monotonous life, but then as we die, then we get that recognition for just a, a moment. That's why there's the names on the gravestone. And his name was Robert Paulson. His name was Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. This is all over with. His name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. His name Let's have a moment of silence for Bob. <laughs> yeah, shut up. It's a moment of silence. <laughs> fucking giggles. Giggles, Mickey. Let's have a moment of silence. <laughs> Fuckers. Sorry. This is the first and last time I have a guest on. <laughs> and now the shit hits a fan and he goes up to his room and he finds the plane stubs and he goes to all the places and he then realizes, like, I can feel the fight clubs that were established, all these franchises. Mm-hmm. But what he doesn't realize is, like, he was looking at Tyler as, like, a father figure because earlier in the movie when they were having that discussion uh, in the bathtub, they essentially said that, like, we're 30-year-old boys raised by women. We miss our fathers because evidently both of their fathers like took off on them, right? They got daddy issues. They got big time daddy issues. I got daddy issues. I'm going to start a fight club. Start a podcast, but not a fight club. It could be your version of a fight club. When the narrator talked about his dad, he said, well, yeah, I know my dad. I just don't like really know him. But all I know is that he went off to another city and started another family to which Tyler says, <laughs> starting up franchises, which is exactly what Tyler Durden did. And so, yeah, you're, you know, I am Jack's sense of rejection. He feels completely rejected and he's pissed off about it. So instead of just like going along with the flow, now he's trying to fight against it completely. And then we get the twist reveal. Finally, he goes to a bar where this guy's all beat up and he has like the spinal halo thing. Oh, my God. Scary looking dude. By the way, as they're chanting, his name is Robert Paulson in the background of the kitchen. I don't know if this guy like fucked up telling him like, hey, sir, nice to see you again. Because I figure Tyler would have told him like, hey, hey, if ever you see me again, don't fuck I can acknowledge because later on, he was talking to the tech detectives yeah. of everyone else. They're like, no, you said you would say that. You absolutely <laughs> said you would say that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. do you think this was like something that Tyler threw in there just to like, he's not getting it? Yeah. Maybe. Right. Maybe I- it was just a loose end because there's a lot of franchises he started. Who do you think I am? Are you sure this isn't a test? No, this is not a test. You're Mr. Dirt. You're the one who gave me this. What what was your guys' emotions? Because did you already figure it out by that point? Because yeah. you already knew. I figured it out already. Because once once they showed the plane ticket, I'm like, ooh, this is, this is um, it's interesting because they did that name reveal on the plane ticket, kind of like Kill, Kill Bill did it. Oh, so I'm like, ah, so this is where he gets to figure it out on himself, as I already figured this out. And to to completely verify it, he 
Calls up Marla. Please, did we do it or not? You fuck me, then snub me. You love me, you hate me. You show me a sensitive side, then you turn into a total asshole. Is that a pretty accurate description of our relationship, Tyler? We have just lost cabin pressure. What did you just say? What's wrong with you? What did you just call me? Say my name. Tyler Durden. Tyler Durden, you fucking freak. What's going on? And now he goes back to his room and Tyler pops up and he still hasn't figured it out. Like, he wasn't, Tyler wasn't in the room and now he's in the room after he sits down. He still hasn't figured it out. So is the narrator just completely blissfully ignorant of this shit mm -hmm. or is he just dumb both maybe it's one of those things where you just, like you don't want to think you have a split personality like you don't want to think you're crazy because he, he still yeah. has to spell it out for him the extreme insomnia kicks in mm -hmm. where he just kind of fades and then the tyler persona services and mm -hmm. takes control and finally wakes up and he sees that tyler made a bunch of calls he's piecing it all together goes back to the house sees like the empty tubs where evidently he made loads of nitroglycerin Realizes that all the project members are fucking everywhere. Tries to convince Marla to leave. She's not having any part of it. But she still likes him. Like, every she likes that, that toxic bad boy. Like, every single time she comes back, like, she really hopes that this is going to be it. And when he finally says, look, I really like you, she's like, really? And then <laughs> leads that into, but you got to leave town. It's the I can fix them complex. True. And she didn't. But, you know, he finally comes around and they get to end up happily ever after, I suppose. And he turns himself in because he realizes, like, dude, there's too many of these people everywhere. Everywhere so much so that they're the, the, the three detectives, other than, like, the actual original de detective that was helping investigate the whole uh, arson explosion thing. Mm -hmm. He was actually the good guy. And the three detectives are members of Project Mayhem, and they try to take his balls. Because evidently the rule that Tyler laid down for himself is, if anyone, even himself, interrupted with all this stuff, we got to take your balls. <laughs> he tries to play the part of Tyler but doesn't have that he's like no no I was just kidding he's like you say you say that too and uh, David Fincher put in an easter egg with the detectives the three detectives are Detective Andrew Detective Kevin and Detective Walker uh, he had the writer for the movie Seven he didn't give him credit in the movie so he gave him kind of like a here's the credit that wasn't given to you because that's his name right the, yeah. all three of those names is his first it's last, Andrew Kevin Walker yeah. yeah Fincher's an awesome guy I do like this uh, this new Tyler with the. Um, oh, buzz I cut. forgot to mention. That. <laughs> oh my god! He's got the buzz cut. He's got like the cool fucking fluffy jacket or whatever, like the fur That's collar how jacket. I remember his loafers. Oh so yeah, the cool ass panty loafers. I think they were Dolce and Gabbana's. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. If you were an imaginary person, how would you dress yourself? Fancy like that? Can your cum gutters get more cum guttery? <laughs> Tries to defuse the bomb. He's like, well, well, since you know it, I know. He's like, or, or did I think about it hard enough to change it? And then gets into, into a fight with himself. That's when you get to see like what the fight looks like. You know, they do it through like the scope of a camera, you know, and like the whole invisible thing. That whole scene where he's like dragging himself backwards. I'm like, what's it? How did that? How do they do that? How'd you do that? Because I don't think you could like push yourself backwards like that unless he's got like good core. They, uh, they had him connected to a rope or something. Yeah. Pulling him. Uh, also, uh, how did he hurt his ankle himself? Yeah. I'm kicking my ass. Do you mind? And he's like stomps on his foot. Like that, that. makes sense. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the the last part of that scene where he throws him down the stairs and it's the stunt man <laughs> and it's so obviously the stunt man. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, oh, come on, guys, you guys are doing so well up to this point. So good. They didn't have deep fakes back then, you know. <laughs> and after he throws him down the stairs, now he's like knocked out and he wakes up and he's tied to the chair. And now we're where we started from the beginning of the movie. And Tyler has a gun pointed at him and he's like, look, here's what we're doing. It's like, they're going to blow up all the credit buildings. We're all going to start to zero, get rid of all the debt mayhem ensues, you know, really like trying to, to 
break everyone out of their societal societal norms. Why though is a narrator trying trying to fight this? Because he tries to convince Tyler, like, well, what about the people in the building? He's like, they're all our people. We told them to leave. There's not going to be no murders. He's like, what about Bob's death? Well, you gotta break some eggs in order to make an omelet. Poor Bob. Bob, R.I.P. I want my eggs to have tits like that. <laughs> but why? Why try to stop it if no one's going to get hurt? Someone got hurt. Bob got hurt during this whole thing. Like that point where Bob gets shot is what jars him out of this whole thing. Like he's just kind of passively being pulled along by mm. Tyler through this whole thing. But when Bob gets shot and he dies or whatever, that's he kind of wakes up a little bit and is like, I don't want to go this whole way that they're going. Like there's a difference between waking up and the difference between creating all this chaos or, you know, destroying all this stuff. And even even though he says there's nobody in the buildings, like you don't drop buildings like that and expect no no loss of life from anyone like people are going to get hurt Mm. and i think that's part of his you know i want to be free and i want to be awake but i don't want it at the cost of other people's lives Mm -hmm. yeah yeah like a moment of clarity Mm -hmm. that's what i think anyway no i'm on board with that (laughs) yeah i'm easily convinced i am the narrator finally when it matters he figures out wait what i what tyler knows i know what tyler has i can have and manages to conjure the gun out of Tyler's hands into his own. He's like, doesn't matter. He's like, oh yeah. And then puts it to his chin. And I'm like, oh shit, it's about to go down. He's gonna, he's gonna suey wooey himself. Suey wooey. But then I was thinking, but you were always passively suicidal. This is like a, it's like a different step up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Looks at Tyler in the eyes and says, Tyler. I want you to really listen to me. Okay. My eyes are open. Puts a gun in his mouth and pulls that trigger. That effect, by the way, like, it hurt him. They blasted <laughs> air in his mouth, and it, it it hurt him. Why do you think Tyler died and he didn't? He probably would have, like, in any normal st- circumstance, killed himself. But his intent was to kill that part of his personality. Like, Absolutely. that's the whole, the whole mm-hmm. symbolism was it. Was it, I don't need you anymore. Bang, get out of my head. Absolutely. I 100% yeah. it's exactly. Before Younger Me was watching that, I was like, well, why didn't he die? But that... <laughs> is deeper and it makes a lot more sense. The members of Project Mayhem carry Marla up to the empty building oh, yeah. next to him. And she, she sees his face. <laughs> oh, you're yeah. shot. And they get to hold hands and watch the explosion. And finally, his eyes are open and they are together. And he likes her and lets her know so. And everything's going to be fine. They met me at a strange point in my life. Pushes in, buildings explode, penis on screen, (laughs) (laughs) credits, Yassine Fight Club. How much of a brain fuck. Real quick before you you outro completely, did you see that effect for them blowing the buildings, how long it took for them to render all that? Uh It was like, I think it was like 14 weeks plus. Sweet Christ. So that... They pushed it so far that the the film's release was right up against them finishing that that cut. So as that cut was was finishing, they were yeah. splicing that into the movie Whoa. to be distributed. Like it was right up against the wall. And I'm like, Jesus, an effect like that these days, I could probably do on my computer. Fucking do it then, Rudy. <laughs> yeah, Rudy. All right. Just now <laughs> to illustrate how long ago that was. Now, 
This is the part of the show where we play a little game where we guess, uh, we switch off and guess what the Rotten Tomato score was. I guess the last movie. So Alva is going to have me and you guess what the Rotten Tomato, what our personal score is, and then what we thought the critic score and the audience score is. So what is your personal score for this movie? Personal score for this movie, I'd put it somewhere in the high 80s, like maybe 86, 87. Okay. Mm-hmm. What do you want next to crit- the critic score? What I think yeah. the critic score is? What do you think the critic score is, yeah. I think it's lower than that. I think it's maybe in the 70s, somewhere like 74, 75, because just I didn't look up any reviews or anything, but just, you know, little asides here and there were like, this critic didn't like it. This critic didn't yeah. like it. Like, so I think, I don't think widely critically it was acclaimed, but I think it became a cult classic. So, and how do you think the audience liked in that moment? I would put them right around where mine was, somewhere in the high 80s. So I gave my own personal score of 90. Uh, I think the critics gave it about 85. I do agree. Like, I, th- I feel like because it's so, like, anti-consumerism that they would have given it a lower rating. And I think mm. the audience, so I think the the critics gave it an 85. And I think that the audience gave it a 90. Alpha, reveal. I don't okay. know where the drum roll is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Critics, critic score was 79. And audience score was ninety six. Whoa, even higher. Yeah. yeah. Damn, that was that was. Uh, I mean, I had the same idea, but I guess mine was uh, for the first time in our all of our episodes. I'm off. Yeah. <sighs> Shit. It's fine. That was like a whole like ten percentage points off of that one. Any final thoughts about this movie? Would you tell people to watch this movie? I don't have to tell anybody to watch this movie. This everyone's telling me to watch this movie. So would, yeah. would you tell people who have have that movie on their list? Yes, I would yeah. be like even if even Toss if you, the top. even if you don't walk away from it liking it, it's still it'll make you think. Yeah, it'll still get in your head, and, and you'll be like you'll think about it later. Elva, yeah, definitely go watch it. Go rewatch it. Yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I feel people that like there's a lot of people like me who like have seen this before and have that on their rewatch list. Rudy, thank you for joining us. Let's wrap this up. Because we've been recording for a while. <laughs> it's our first guest. We're going to figure this shit out, right. right? Thank you for having me. Thank you guys for listening to yet another episode of You Haven't Seen That. Uh, check us out on Instagram at Forehead Films. That's F-O-R-E-H-E-D Films. Uh, there's other video reviews that we do. Again, we have the Five Nights at Freddy. Um, I still have to put up. It's probably going to be up at this time. Um, the review for Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel's, yep, and re- the review for Thanksgiving. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Uh. So, mm-hmm. in the meantime, tell us what you thought about this movie in the comment section. Hit me up at the DMs if you're shy about it, or just give us the tell us what movies you haven't seen on that growing list of movies that have people asking you the question. You, you haven't, haven't seen, seen that? that? Later, guys. Bye. Bye.